This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. The stresses and anxieties of our day-to-day lives are often something we don't dedicate enough time to on a regular basis, and living the busy lives that we do, it's all too easy to push our mental health to the side. Self-care is so important. It's something we encourage you to do by listening to this show, and from personal experience, therapy can be an enormous benefit in enabling you to find the tools that help you process those thoughts and feelings in life that weigh you down. I'm quite new to therapy myself, but I've already found it an enormously helpful way to lay out my worries with someone who's able to guide me through methods of analysing and processing difficult emotions. If you are considering therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient and flexible to your schedule. All you need to do is fill in a short questionnaire and you'll be matched with a licensed therapist. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash SMTS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash SMTS. Welcome to Send Me to Sleep. The place to find a good night's rest. My name's Andrew, and I'm so pleased you've joined me tonight and taken this time for yourself to ensure you get a peaceful night's sleep. Tonight, I'll be reading chapters 82 to 84 of Stories of Greece by Mary McGregor. In the last chapters, the seven conspirators freed the people of Thebes. In tonight's story, we will learn how Thebes goes on to conquer Sparta. If you haven't already, find a nice place to get cosy. Take a deep, relaxing breath. And settle your body in whatever way feels most comfortable. Now all you need to do is follow the sound of my voice. So let your eyes fall heavy and your breath soften as we settle in for a peaceful night's sleep. Chapter 82 The Battle of Leuctra Thebes had always been a dull, unambitious little town. But now her ambition awoke. She was not content only to be free. She wished to become the most important town in Boeotia. And there was one of her citizens who was so great a soldier and so wise a statesman that he was able to do for Thebes more than she dreamed. Epaminondas not only made Thebes the chief city in Boeotia, but several years later he conquered the Spartans and so made her the most important town in Greece. 
Pelopidas, too, fought for the glory of his country. He became the captain of a band of three hundred young Thebans, who had sworn to defend their city with their lives. These three hundred soldiers, more strictly trained than other youths, were named the Sacred Band, because each member was a friend to the other. As they had sworn to defend their city, so they had promised to stand by one another and to death. After many victories, of which you will read, the Sacred Band fell on the battlefield. Even their conqueror, as he looked upon them, shed tears, saying, Perish any man who suspects that these men either did or suffered anything that was base. For two years after Thebes won back her freedom, Sparta never ceased to try to wrench it from her. But at the end of two years, she was forced to leave the Thebans alone, for all her soldiers were needed to fight against the Athenians, who had once more declared war against their ancient foe. While the Spartans and the Athenians waged war one against the other, Epaminondas was not idle, for he subdued the Boeotian cities which had dared to help Sparta while Thebes was in her power. Pelopidas, too, won a great victory in 375 BC against the Spartans at Orchomenus. He had with him only the sacred band and a small company of cavalry when he found himself unawares facing a large Spartan army. We are fallen into the midst of the enemy, cried one of the band. Why so, more than they into the midst of us, said Pelopidas. The rare confidence of their captain inspired the band to fight even more valiantly than usual, and to win a great victory over the large army of Spartans. The victory encouraged the Thebans so much that in the following year they succeeded in banishing the Spartans from Boeotia. Thebes was now at the head of the Boeotian Confederacy, just as Sparta was ruler of the Laconian Confederacy. Four years later, in 371 BC, the Greek states met to arrange terms of peace among themselves. It was agreed that each city should be treated as independent, but when Agasilius, king of Sparta, rose to take the oath, he took it not alone for his own city, but for the cities that belonged to her allies as well. Epaminondas sprang to his feet to remonstrate, saying that if Agasilius was allowed to take the oath for the allied cities, he too must be permitted to take it for all the cities of Boeotia. The Spartan king, 
angry with the bold demand of the Theban, taunted him with taking away the liberty of the Boeotian cities. And what do you do with the liberty of the cities of Laconia? retorted Epaminondas. Agasilius was astonished at what he considered the insolence of the Theban. In a rage, he snatched up the treaty of peace, struck out the name of Thebes, crying that if Thebans wished war, they should have it. The other cities signed the treaty, so Sparta and Thebes were left to settle their quarrel alone. Epaminondas hastened back to Thebes, where he was at once chosen general of the Theban army. Without delay, he set out to secure a path by which he thought the Spartans would attempt to enter Boeotia. But the Spartans, led by Cleombrotus, one of their kings, did not try to enter by the pass. Finding a narrow mountain track, they succeeded in eluding Epaminondas and marching within eight miles of Thebes. Here, on the plain of Leuctra, the Spartans encamped in 371 BC. Near to Leuctra were the tombs of two Boeotian maidens. Many years ago, they had slain themselves because of the cruelty with which the Spartans had treated them. An old prophecy said that some day the Spartans would be defeated at the tombs of the maidens. Epaminondas, although he did not greatly believe in soothsayers, encouraged his captains to fight by reminding them of this old saying. Before the battle, Pelopidas had a strange dream. In his dream, he saw two maidens of Lecoutre alive and wandering the plain. Their father, too, was there, and Pelopidas heard them say that if the Thebans wished for victory, they must sacrifice to the gods a maiden with chestnut hair. When he awoke, Pelopidas told his dream to the other captains, and as they were wondering what to do, a colt of a bright chestnut colour ran through the camp. So, cried a soothsayer, the sacrifice is come. Expect no other, but use that which the gods have sent. Then the colt was solemnly offered in sacrifice at the tomb of the maidens, and the army was content, for the gods, they were sure, would give them the victory. Until now, a Greek army had always been drawn out in a long, narrow line, but Epaminondas arranged his men in a new way. His left wing was only a few men wide, but it was fifty men deep, which made it unusually strong. Pelopidas, with his sacred band, was placed in front of the heavy left wing, while the rest of the army was arranged as usual. 
The Spartan cavalry attacked the Theban horse, but it was soon driven from the field. Cleombrotus was with his right wing, and he now led it against the strong left wing of the enemy. Bravely as the Spartans fought, they could not withstand the onslaught of the left wing, led by the sacred band. Cleombrotus fell and was carried from the field, wounded to death. The Spartans still struggled bravely, although their king was slain. But when Epaminondas called to his men, Give me a step more and the day is ours, the Thebans spurred on to one more effort, broke the Spartan line and put it to flight. The Thebans had won the day, with but little loss of life, while four hundred Spartans had been slain. Cleombrotus was the first Spartan king who had fallen on a battlefield since the fatal day of Thermopylae. The terrible news of the defeat at Lacoutra was sent to Sparta but the citizens were too well disciplined to show the dismay which they must have felt. They had been beaten by the inhabitants of the dull little town of Thebes, yet no sound of grief was heard in their streets, nor was any sign of mourning to be seen. It was on a festive day, that the fateful tidings reached the city, and sacrifices were offered and games held as though nothing had happened to interrupt the usual rites. Those whose friends had fled looked sullen and ashamed, for it was counted a disgrace to leave a lost battlefield alive. Those whose friends had fought to death were to be seen in the streets the following day, with faces that were calm and content. Of such stern stuff were the Spartans made. Chapter 83 The Death of Epaminondas Thebes was now the most powerful city in Greece but Epaminondas was not yet content. He wished to invade Sparta. In November 370 BC, he marched with his army into Arcadia, which lay to the north of Laconia. Here he was joined by all those who wished to throw off the Spartan yoke. His army soon numbered 40,000. Some even say it was 70,000 strong. Sparta could hardly believe that anyone had dared to invade her territory. She was used to fighting in other states of Greece or in other countries, but it would be a new experience if she was forced to fight in her own home. Yet there was Epaminondas and his army encamped within sight of the city. 
The Spartan women had never before seen the smoke of an enemy's fire camp, and they gave way to despair in spite of their stern training in self-control. But the Theban general was too wise to attack the city. He knew that Spartans had gathered together in a large army and that they would fight to the death for their homes. So, satisfied that he had encamped in sight of Sparta, he turned away, destroying the land through which he passed. The Spartans were eager to follow and fight with the enemy who had defied them, but their king refused to lead them to battle. Epaminondas was not yet ready to leave Spartan territory. He led his army to the country of Messenia, which the Spartans had conquered many centuries before, banishing or making slaves of the people. The Theban general roused the descendants of their slaves and encouraged them to build a new city on Mount Ithome, where Aristomenes had made his gallant stand against the Spartans. While the first stones of the new city were being laid, the sound of flutes were heard. When it was finished, it was named Messenia. A large piece of ground which belonged to Sparta was given by Epaminondas to the citizens of the new town. Those who had been slaves of Helots were now free men. The army then marched back to Thebes, which it reached four months after the first time from which Epaminondas had been appointed commander. In spite of all he had done for his country, his enemies wished him to be punished because he had not laid down his command on the proper day. But he appealed to the people, and they gladly made him, along with Pelopidas, general for another year. When the year had passed, Epaminondas was treated coldly not only by his enemies, but by the people also, because he had failed to surprise and take the city of Corinth. In Thessaly, at this time, there was a cruel king named Alexander. So badly did he treat his subjects that they begged the Thebans to come to their help. Pelopidas was sent to Thessaly to punish Alexander, unless he promised to treat his people less harshly. The king was forced to listen to the Theban general, but he was angry because Pelopidas had dared to interfere with him, and he resolved to punish him. For some time, the king found no opportunity to reach his enemy, but at length, Pelopidas was foolish enough to go through Thessaly with only a few followers. Alexander was overjoyed to have the general in his power, and he at once set a band of men to capture him and throw him into prison. 
but the Thebans were very angry when they heard that their favourite general was a prisoner, and they determined to set him free. So they sent a large army into Thessaly to rescue Pelopidas. Epaminondas went with the army as an extraordinary soldier, and you can imagine how he must have longed to be at its head, so that he might himself deliver his friend. The Theban generals were not clever, and though they did all they could to conquer the army that Alexander sent against them, they soon saw that the battle was going against them. Then they showed that if they were not clever, they were wise, for they went to Epaminondas and begged him to take command of the army. But it was too late for even a clever general to rescue Pelopidas, and all Epaminondas could do was to save the Theban army from being destroyed. The Thebans were so grateful to Epaminondas for his help that they made him general once more and sent him back to Thessaly with a large army that he might save his friend. Alexander knew that he need not hope to conquer the great Theban general and a few days after Epaminondas entered Thessaly, the king set Pelopidas free. He then asked the Thebans to make peace with him. Three years later, in 364 BC, Pelopidas was ordered to go at the head of an army against his old enemy. As he was ready to leave Thebes, the sun was eclipsed, and the soothsayers did not hesitate to say that this was a bad omen. Many of the soldiers were afraid to march, and Pelopidas was too angry to wait to force them to go with him, so he set out with only a few men. When he reached Thessaly, he bade all those who hated the tyrant to join him. Thousands who had groaned under the cruelty of the king flocked to his side, but even then, the army of Alexander was twice as large as his. The two forces met at a place called Cynocephale, where a great battle was fought. Pelopidas led his men well, and himself fought so bravely that the battle was all but won, in spite of the greater strength of the enemy. Suddenly, Pelopidas caught sight of Alexander, and forgetting everything save his desire to avenge his imprisonment, he sprang forward to slay the tyrant. Ere his followers could reach him, he himself was struck down and killed. Alexander was defeated, and his kingdom was taken from him. But the Thessalians could not rejoice, because Pelopidas, to whom they owed their deliverance, had been slain. They buried him with great pomp on the field where he had fallen. Epaminondas was filled with grief at the loss of his dear friend. 
he tried to forget his sorrow in serving his country. In 362 BC, he fought at Matinea against the Spartans, on the field where long before he had saved the life of Pelopidas. Never had Epaminondas fought more bravely than on that day, leading the Boeotians against the foe, as a war galley ploughs through the waves with its beak. The victory was well-nigh gained when a Spartan thrust his pike through the breast of Epaminondas. He fell, and his men carried him off the field to a little hill, from which the battle could be seen. For a short time, the great general lay unconscious, but at length he opened his eyes and asked if his shield was safe. He was told that it was safe and that the battle was won. Then he begged to see his two chief officers. They had fallen on the field, and when the news was broken to him, the dying man said, Then you had better make peace. The head of the spear that had struck the general was still in the wound. As it was withdrawn, he breathed his last breath. It was Epaminondas who had made Thebes great. After his death, she slowly slipped back into the old, insignificant position. Chapter 84 The Two Brothers The city of Corinth stood upon the narrow isthmus that joined the mainland of Greece to the Peloponnesian Peninsula. She had two harbours, a large fleet, and she carried on a prosperous trade with other countries. As the city grew strong and populous, she began to plant colonies in other lands. One of the wealthiest of these colonies was in the town of Syracuse in Sicily. In 346 BC, Syracuse was in the power of a tyrant named Dionysus. The other cities in Sicily would have been in the same plight had their inhabitants not fled to a neighbouring town and sought the aid of a powerful prince named Isates. Isates had a large army, and with its help, they hoped to be able to overthrow Dionysus. But trouble after trouble overtook the people, for the Carthaginians had sailed from Africa and had reached their shores. Sicily was in despair lest they should conquer the island and make it their own. In their distress, the Sicilians sent messengers to Corinth, their mother city, to beg her to help them to get rid of both the Carthaginians and Dionysius. Isotes pretended to approve of this, but no sooner had the ambassadors sent out for Corinth than he made friends with the Carthaginians, 
he hoped that if they drove Dionysius away, he himself would become tyrant of Sicily. In Corinth, about twenty years earlier, there dwelt two brothers of noble birth. One was named Timophanes, the other Timoleon. Never were two brothers more unlike save that both were brave. Timophanes was cruel and ambitious, while Timoleon was gentle and content. Yet under his quiet ways, Timoleon had one strong passion, and that was the love he bore for his country. Timophanes was a captain in the Corinthian army. His brother served in the ranks. Once when the captain was sent against a neighbouring state, he was thrown from his horse, which had been wounded. He fell close to the enemy, and his men fled, leaving him in danger of being taken prisoner. Timoleon saw what had happened, and rushing from the ranks, he stood over Timophanes with his shield and defended him from the spears which were being hurled at him by the enemy. Although he himself was sorely wounded, he never flinched, but at length his comrades rushed to his aid and drove off the foe. Timoleon had saved his brother's life. Not long after this, Timophanes was given the command of four hundred foreign soldiers. This pleased the captain, but to the dismay of the citizens, he used the troops to make himself tyrant of the city. All who dared to oppose him he put to death, while he ruled so harshly that he was hated and feared by everyone. Timoleon was ashamed of his brother's behaviour. He begged him to treat the people more kindly, and if he must rule, at least to rule with justice. But Timophanes first mocked at his brother's words, and then he grew angry and refused to listen to them. Gentle as Timoleon was, he could be strong when there was need to be so. In a short time, he went again to his brother, taking with him two friends who used to admire Timophanes. Together, the three men besought the tyrant to give up the power he had so wrongfully seized and to serve his country in an upright way. Again, Timophanes laughed at his friends, but when they persisted in their entreaties, he grew angry and rudely bade them be gone. Then Timoleon hid his face in his cloak and wept, while the others put his brother to death. The Corinthians, for the most part, praised Timoleon because he loved his country so well that he sacrificed his brother for her sake. But there were some citizens who blamed Timoleon for allowing his brother to be put to death before his eyes. His mother refused to see him, 
and called down upon him the curse of the gods. This pained Timoleon more than anything else, and he begged her to see him, if it were but once. But she would not allow him to enter her house. Timoleon loved his mother, and her treatment made him so sad that he refused either to eat or to drink. He resolved to starve himself to death rather than to endure his mother's reproaches. His friends did all they could to comfort him, and at length they succeeded in persuading him to eat. But his sorrow was too great to let him stay in Corinth, so he left the city, and for several years he lived by himself. Even when he returned to Corinth, he still refused to take part in any public business. Timoleon was fifty years old when, in 346 BC, the Syracusians sent to the Corinthians to beg for help against the Carthaginians. The Corinthians determined to send an army to Sicily to help their fellow countrymen, but they could find no one willing to go at its head. Someone proposed that Timoleon should be made commander of the force that had been raised, and he was at once appointed. Perhaps Timoleon thought that it was now time that he should do something for his country. In any case, he undertook the task that was given him with goodwill. One worthy citizen bade Timoleon act like a man of worth and gallantry, for, said he, if you do bravely in this service, we shall believe that you delivered us from a tyrant, but if otherwise, that you killed your brother. <laughs>